Welcome to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. Our mission is to connect the past and the present NICU mom by bringing them out of isolation and into a sisterhood of women who can stand alongside each other as we heal and grow both in and out of the NICU. Our hope is that through interviews with trauma-informed medical and maternal mental health experts and vulnerable stories from NICU mamas themselves, that you would feel connected to the Dear NICU Mama Sisterhood around the world. So whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. It's your host, Martha and Ashley. Yay! (laughs) (sighs) The crowd goes wild. (laughs) Did that sound great? (laughs) I was honestly impressed by the... I didn't know where you were going right away with that. I thought you were just breathing into the microphone, and then it came full circle when you were Yogic breaths, some lion breaths, (laughs) like that. Um, I wish and- you could see. I wish everybody could see your tongue when you did that mm-hmm. face. I learned. I took a lot away from that uh, BFA in, in theater, Ashley, including tongue stretches. So, everybody, welcome back to the podcast, um, Ashley. It is. It is where we are. It is a little bit chill, chill. I would say it's a little chilly. Just a little bit. Just like negative forty. No big deal. Right. It's super cash. Um, we're all in the middle of cold and flu season. So mama's friends, wherever you are at in that journey, please know that you are not alone. We are with you. You're going to make it through. We're all going to stand together. We will let you know when we see children's Tylenol in stock. I was just going to say that. (laughs) Of America. So I was just going to say that. Welcome. Welcome. So today, Ashley, uh, the listeners will know we will often interview experts in the fields of neonatology, maternal mental health, obstetrics, and then other times we'll get to interview um, mamas from around the world about their NICU journeys and talk about different topics. Today, we are having a very special roundtable episode mm-hmm. where we have incredible members from our community here to talk about a beautiful topic, which is family planning, how we talk about growing our families after the NICU and all the different parts of that. So welcome to Kendra Locke and Sarah Camarina, friends of the podcast and of our hearts forever. (laughs) Hello, hello. I'm so excited to be back with you ladies. Hey, hey, hey. I don't think we're supposed to say that anymore, but um, (laughs) anyway, um, I'm glad to be back. I'm not in minus 40. Um, It is a cloudy 59 degrees positive in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, So I will just uh, look out my lovely window and enjoy the the clouds. (laughs) But I'm happy to be back, guys. (laughs) We'll just live vicariously through you and your beautiful swimming pool patio backyard. Ash, do you want to talk about the impetus for this this episode and like the, the topic of the season, the theme of the season of family planning and growing our families? Yes, for sure. We kind of decided on this theme of growing your family after NICU and this idea of family planning. And we did this because one of probably the most common questions that we see in our private Facebook group and on our Instagram is A, how do you know if you're ready? B, how do you do it again? And C, what if you never feel ready to do it again? And so we wanted to dedicate a whole season. And to be honest, we could probably dedicate many seasons to this topic because it's such a multi-layered 
conversation and depending on your journey, um, this decision for your family will look different. But we wanted to have a few different um, conversations both with specialists and with mamas themselves to just talk about it because sometimes you just don't know until you hear another mom's story. And so no matter where you are in your family building journey, whether that is we've made a decision, we know what's next for our family, or you're still kind of in that limbo, uh, we hope that these these conversations really give you just a glimpse into other mama's hearts and just bring some peace to you knowing that you are making the best decisions for your family. Should we kick it off then by maybe going around and doing some quick introductions about our, each of our individual stories? Yeah, let's do it. Kendra, do you want to take us away? I would love to. So if you're new here or haven't listened to an episode with my um, journey and Callan's Make You Stay, I am a full-term Nikki mama to Callan, who we call the Mighty Warrior. And he had a six-month-long Make You Stay. He was born full-term. We were not expecting anything. It was a completely typical, if you will, pregnancy. Um, but it just kind of got turbulent afterwards. And he was diagnosed with a um, chromosomal abnormality that I actually am the carrier of, which we found out about a month and a half into our Nikki stay. Um, so right there, our family journey, family building journey, how do we say that? <laughs> family planning, we'll say that. It changed dramatically in that moment. The day we found out that I was the carrier was the day that so many things changed for us. Um, and yeah, so he came home with a lot of medical needs and we were not expecting to grow our family um, by pregnancy after that. We were looking into adoption and then I um, spontaneously got pregnant and that's kind of where this journey took a spin for us and I can share more about that later. But now we have Nora after um, Callan and after a miscarriage. Mm. And they're like the cutest duo ever. It's so fun mm-hmm. seeing them together. They're they're really beautiful siblings. And also wild. Very wild. And Callan looks 16 years old lately. I don't know what it is. But every time you post a picture and he's smiling, I'm just like, how did he get so old all of a sudden? I know. We're wondering the same thing. He'll be six in July. <laughs> and I six is weird. Oh. Like five is monumental. But six is like, okay, what is that number? Yeah. I don't know. You're getting old. Yeah. Yeah. So true. <laughs> And all I can think of is when he was just like, when we first met him, he was just like a little meatball, you know? He was so cute and so round so and so cherub- cherubic, cherubic. I don't no, know what that word is. But you know, this long bean that I exactly. have to try to figure out how to carry. And it's, it's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With great hair. A great head of hair. Great hair. Literally Tyler's twin, too. Mm-hmm. Can we mm-hmm. just say that? Mm-hmm. They look identical. Yeah. Sarah, how about you? So Can fun. you share a little bit about your journey and sweet, sweet Connor? Yeah. Um, so um, similarly to Kendra, if you haven't <laughs> listened to um, all the old episodes, um, I've shared a little bit about Connor before, but um, my son Connor was born at 23 weeks and four days. We spent 115 days in the NICU. Um, they, No one to this day was able to give us a definitive answer as to why I went into labor early. So um, for my husband and I, that that has kind of played a role in, in um, what our family planning journey looks like. Um, but yeah, I mean, that 
that's that's the short that's the short and sweet version just having a micro preemie and then what does family planning look like after that for us mm-hmm. so I'm excited to share yeah Ash how about you who are you what's your name <laughs> I don't remember yeah. um yes so I am mama to Silas who will be four in January mm-hmm. don't know how that happens but here we are <clears throat> so wild but Silas was, is my first baby, and um, he was born at 28 weeks and uh, due to preeclampsia and HELP syndrome. And our pregnancy was relatively turbulent as well. I had a, um, a subcarinic hemorrhage early on in my pregnancy, and then we were watched really closely because they detected a heart um, defect quite early on. So... For us, um, and I know we'll get into it later, we are definitely in that limbo stage. Um, There are days when we feel very certain that we've made our family planning decision. And then there's other days where uh, we're kind of like, hmm, maybe we should chat about something else. So if there's any moms listening who find themselves in that limbo, um, know that you're not alone. But that's a little bit about my story. Mm. Martha, how about you, my friend? Well, the year was 1800. And <laughs> no, I I have two NICU kiddos. I have had two, uh, three pregnancies. And I my son JP was born at 25 weeks and he only lived for three days. He uh, would have been seven this year. And then we had our daughter a few years later. Um, I delivered uh, early for both because I have a bicornate septic uterus incompetent cervix, yada, 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 you know the works. So I I um, delivered those kiddos early. And so um, we obviously decided to grow our family plus one at one point. Um, and I honestly, I don't know. I'm just so thirsty most days. I don't have time to, <laughs> I don't remember. I don't know where we're at, but I think, I think that's a valid way to feel. Um, and I think it should go without saying for all of us that when we say family building, um, there's two parts of it. One is the aspect of cap getting pregnant again. And then the other idea is growing your family by one, by means of adoption, pregnancy, surrogacy, um, foster, infant adoption, all of all of those kind of different realms. So we just want to be super clear that when we're talking about it, we're, we know that there's so many different kind of dimensions of parenthood um, and being a parent to people in the world. So that's what we mean when we say family building. So maybe we should all just share a little bit of, you know, kind of what you envisioned your family building journey would look like prior to your pregnancy and NICU experiences. Kendra, do you want to kick us off? I do, yeah. So Tyler and I, our faith is important to us. So before marriage, we were going through, you know, premarital premarital counseling and um, Pastor Brad, which actually you know, <laughs> he gave us this like long questionnaire form. I don't know. Did you fill out one of those? Did you ever? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then you match it and see how you do with your partner to kind of figure out where you're at. And um, we matched well and it was good, but we were talking about um, how many kids do you want? And Tyler comes from having three other siblings and I just have one. So it was kind of funny what are we going to put? Does he want less siblings or, you know, where did that end up? And we both wanted three or four kids. And that was that. We were just excited and we were marrying young. So we had plenty of time in our eyes to 
grow our family. And honestly, we didn't have any experience with anyone um, going through a NICU stay, going through anything like Tyler and I ended up going through. So we were pretty naive to what building a family could look like. We just thought we would make some babies and grow our family. And uh, it was definitely very hard on me once I got the diagnosis in the NICU for being the carrier because that was not my dream of what building our family was going to look like. And it mm -hmm. definitely it did not involve having a very complex NICU stay and coming home mm -hmm. with the whole team of specialists in our house pretty much. Uh, yeah. So it immediately, I mean, we got, thankfully, we were, I'll share a little bit of this as we go through, but I am very blessed with being able to get pregnant easily. And that's not always the case for a lot of women. And I truly hold that close to my heart, knowing family members, everyone. There are I mean, so many people struggling with that. But um, we decided on our one-year anniversary, like, okay, I think we're in a comfortable place to start trying to have kids. And we got pregnant right away. And so we were just kind of, right when we thought about it, it happened. And so we're like, this is easy. This is going to be so easy. Like, we're going to be parents. Mm -hmm. And we had no idea what was coming for us. Yeah. Kendra, I relate to that. I was definitely the same. And I also got pregnant first try right away. And I remember looking at Ryan and saying, I was made for this. Like, I was made to have kids. Like, look how, you know, how quickly we got pregnant and it must have been the right position or something because <laughs> we got pregnant so fast. And then kind of that that shattering of expectation when you kind of hit that first hiccup of, oh, okay, maybe this isn't as seamless or as easy for our family as, as we envisioned. And um, I, I definitely, I relate to that. We we were also probably around that, like, wanting to have three kids. My husband is really close to his brothers, and I have one brother, and I always loved seeing the relationship that Ryan has with his brothers. Even to this day, I'm just like, wow, that's so cool, and, and going to, like, Christmas and everybody together just, like, had that picture in my head, and um, yeah, like, once you kind of hit that first roadblock and you realize, like, oh, these decisions are going to take a lot more thought and specialists you know and medical professionals to make them than just like an ovulation kit or right. <laughs> you know that kind of thing it, it's hard to um kind of reconcile that so mm. I relate to that Sarah how about you um I would say for my husband Scott and I we had um a similar idea that we would have more than one child um we also got pregnant really quickly. So again, similarly to Kendra and Ash, it was like, oh, well, we can just have a baby whenever we want another one. So that's fine. Um, but during my pregnancy, while my pregnancy wasn't very complicated, um, well, until until I spontaneously went into labor. Until, until it was, was. Yeah. Um, But up until, I mean, the first 20 weeks of pregnancy, I had no problems. I was, but I was violently ill. Like I was throwing up all the time. Um, and I got medication to help with that. But I just remember thinking even during the pregnancy before all of the stuff happened with Connor, just thinking like, wow, I don't want to have to go through this first trimester again. This has been terrible. Like this is 
not what I've seen on the movies and in the TV about what pregnancy is like. <laughs> like I thought morning sickness was you like get up and you throw up and you continue about your day and you're fine. But I was nauseous all of the time and it was terrible. So that was sort of my first, uh, my first nugget with like, wait, how many kids, there's a difference between how many kids do we want to have in this house and how many times I want to be pregnant. Um, so that was sort of our first, like, well, maybe, maybe after we have this child, we can talk about, um, what it would look like to potentially foster kids or adopt. Um, so yeah. So I'm one of five and I freaking loved that. I loved having a thousand siblings. It was such an, it was a nightmare for my mom, I'm sure. But we were just like a gang (laughs) just like rolled in and out in a bus just knocking things over <laughs> knocking pulling each other's tooths out teeth out tooth is not the plural of teeth, <laughs> um but it was it was just crazy and I really loved it and I always wanted to be a mom I went out to New York City when I was 18 to be an actor and to go to school for that and everyone thought I was so insane that I was like this 18 year old who is like so preoccupied with wanting to be a mother um but you know I I just thought that's what it was gonna be and we got married pretty young too. And, um, yeah, we were, we were game for having as many kids as, as we could have. Um, but I, we found out pretty quickly that I have some fertility issues that, which was all related to, um, the same thing. So went through a couple of years of treatments for that and eventually, um, got pregnant with, with JP, um, uh, through those means so yeah I think the same the same thing like you go through that process and you're like wow that was really that was really hard to do and it wasn't um necessarily great there's a lot of anxiety um and like physical changes it's very hard on your body to do for fertility treatments like that so I didn't love it but I w- was kind of at this point like when you're going through the fertility journey it's like operation baby everything is like how do we get this baby it's like I'm fertile for the next four hours so let's get going you know what I mean it's all very surgical and nothing is sexy about it it's just so you have this kind of goal and I think um it's uh it's weird how that become that like overtakes the actual concern of like oh what happens when you actually have a child here it's like a totally different thing um so yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of how I felt about it. But, but yeah, um, I suppose now too, the, you know, the question that follows us up is what changes, like what changed for all of us? Um, and I know for me, it was, um, we, um, lost JP and so then it's like, okay, can I, can I do that again? Right. I think uh, for so many people, if you miscarry or you have a stillbirth or you lose a baby, it doesn't even occur to you that that could be a reality. Right. So when you endure it one time, you're like, do I have the capacity to endure it again? Can I do it? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so Zach and I talked about it and we talked with our doctors and we kind of were like, okay, well, we know we can do it. Um, We can get pregnant and we want to have a a baby with us. So we want to, we want to, we want to, try again. And so we just jumped right back into operation baby 2.0, um, electric boogaloo. And it was just like, you know, that's like what took up the next couple of years. So I think we've spent the last, you know, closing in on a decade now trying to figure out how to get our kids here and safely. So 
it's not until JJ came home and we were like, this is really hard that we were really <laughs> talked about. Like, what do we actually want? The, you know, that cold idea. What do you want your Thanksgiving table to look like? What do you want your dinner table to look like? You close your eyes. What do you see? Um, on one hand, it, there's the sadness because there'll always be a missing seat, right? And then on the other hand, there is, um, you know, and it's dangerous to get pregnant. Can I do it again? Is it safe to do it again? And then also, like, what do we want our lives to look like, you know, too? So that that really has changed as well. Both sides of it have changed for us. Um, I wonder if you guys have, have um, felt that way, too, about, like, the beginning pregnant and having more kids in your house, if it's changed how you felt about it. Sometimes those feel like two separate decisions. Totally. Sometimes, like, the idea of getting pregnant and then the idea of, like, bringing another kid home and, and having more kids and then... Not to even mention like that middle part where there's a potential NICU stay. Like it feels right. like there's almost three different decisions. A, can I handle the emotional, um, you know, responsibility of being pregnant? That was the first thing my OB asked me. She said, there's a physical risk, but there's also an emotional risk. Do you think emotionally you could go through another high-risk pregnancy? So that was the first question. Then the second was, do you, could you potentially go through another NICU stay? Knowing that he could come earlier the statistics were in that favor so it's like we know what 28 weeks looks like are we prepared for 26 for 27 potentially 25 and then the other one of are you prepared to go through the newborn stage again and all of those things that you know so it's like it feels like there's these almost micro decisions that all end up leading to one answer but it's like you have to ask yourself so many questions to get to that decision. Every time I feel like Martha, especially now with my recent part of our journey, I feel like you took so many words and feelings just right out of my mind and my heart. You have this way of making me emotional, but then laugh with these little like funny (laughs) comments. And I'm like, okay, let's hold it together. Even though I know this is a safe space and not to hold it together. Uh, But no, I just, I agree so much of what you both have just shared it's the NICU journey I mean I think you probably all can agree there's things in the NICU that you kind of just glaze over there not the mundane times in the NICU but they were kind of the mundane times right there's specialness mm-hmm. in every day but there's those that are just don't stand out as much as some key moments in your NICU journey and one of mine that I will never forget is the geneticist coming bedside and telling me, yeah, so just like we expected, you are the carrier. Um, contact us mm. if you ever want to try to have kids again. <laughs> what? what? Mm. And I've shared this on my Facebook page, so if you're friends with me, you've heard me kind of share the story. But um, we were in a NICU where it was just bed after bed, isolate after isolate, and it was just, they were the curtains were usually open. And Ashley, did you have experience in that NICU? remember if you were in that when you were in Masonic yeah 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 and there's just no privacy and Mm -hmm. she didn't even ask to close the curtain and she shared this news just right there Mm. and it was I don't think like because it was her job I don't think she processed how this could impact a very young mother and um that will like forever be a core memory in my mind and that was the moment that everything changed for us it wasn't necessarily I mean it was everything that Kellen went through and the fact that 
every pregnancy, I have the risk of passing that on. But it was more so just like, I am the carrier. I had the thoughts of this is my fault. Everything Helen went through was my fault. Um, and can I do that to another child? Should we do that to another child? Um, so that moment was what changed everything for us, was me finding out that I was a carrier. Yeah. I think for for me, um, I think the NICU experience, everything that happened with Connor and the 115 days we were in the hospital was definitely a big part of it. But I also think that something has happened even in the, in the time after that um, where, you know, those NICU memories start to fade a little bit and you go to therapy and you, you start to heal. Um, something else has happened with, with my husband and I, and it was sort of the realization that Connor is a, is a handful. We have specialist appointments, um, not, not a ton, but we have a pretty full plate of stuff that we are navigating with him still. And to be quite frankly, to be quite frank, Connor is kind of, uh, he's a difficult kid. Like I feel like our whole world um, sort of revolves around him and his needs and what's going on with his vision. And he's having a hard time at school. And oftentimes we look at each other and we're like, what, how could we even add one more? Like who is going to, this child needs two parents. He takes two. (laughs) So what are we going to do with, uh, what would we do with, uh, another one? Um, but, but really after, after the NICU and, um, coming home and experiencing post-NICU hospitalization, and all of that trauma, that was when my husband and I really were like, you know, we had this vision of two kids maybe. Um, one kid isn't going to be that different. It does change the dynamic of our household and what that what we thought our, you know, our dinner table would look like. Um, but in all of that time since, I have found a lot of comfort in and routine really with it just being the three of us um yeah and i am so happy and will scream it from the rooftops that if you women shouldn't feel pressured to have another child to give their first child a sibling (laughs) um because that's if you're you know we need to look out for mom's mental health too and um, I was really transparent in, in my episode with Connor, uh, telling Connor's story, but I had a lot of mental health struggles coming home after the NICU. And I think that also played a big role. And do I have the mental capacity to not, not the NICU stuff aside, but to parent another child? And I think after everything that we had been through, um, it, it was sort of a no brainer for us to make the decision to say that Connor's going to be our, our one and only. Yeah. I think you bring up a good point too of, um, what can feel expected of us. Um, and I'd wonder if we could just, I know this isn't on our questions, but chat a little bit of when you guys were in maybe some of those beginning stages of making these decisions about your family building journey what you felt like was an expectation versus what your hearts really desired 
um, and how you kind of were able to differentiate the two and really begin to make decisions that honored your family and not what others expected of you or maybe even like a younger version expected of you, you know, like, um, I think sometimes it's hard to reconcile with wanting to be the version of yourself that your younger version of you really wanted to be and then getting to that stage and realizing that you're just a different a different version of yourself than maybe you pictured um so for you guys how did you differentiate between expectation versus what your heart really wanted or needed that's good and tough (laughs) um yeah well for us so kind of a little deep dive into how we got nora after Callan. Um, we, we were not thinking about adopting and honestly, we didn't really share much of that story or those decisions or thoughts with our family. I think our families were just seeing every complexity that we were going through with Callan, that there was never an expectation from them. There was never, they never questioned, you know, what, and I think that's mostly where it comes from, right? I would have discussions with friends about where I was feeling. I had to really grow and grieve the um, what I felt like I was promising to Tyler when we when we got married. Like that was what you're talking about, Ashley. Like those younger expectations was in my head. I'm like Tyler married me because he thought I was going to be able to give him this big family, and it was something that I really struggled with and um, had to just heal from and grow in and I would voice those things to really close friends but I didn't talk too much about that with my family Um, and just because I didn't feel like sharing that with them (laughs) as simple as that it just didn't Mm -hmm. ever come up where it would come up with my friends that were growing their own families and had that had more simple versions going on on their end um so then we ended up spontaneously getting pregnant. Now, obviously, we know how to get pregnant. We know how that happens. Um, but mm-hmm. it theoretically shouldn't have happened. And we ended up getting pregnant. And I will tell you, those first few hours after taking that test, we were terrified. We were crying. We were grieving. We did not know what we were going to do. And Tyler looks at me. He's like, we have a half an hour to get this out of our systems. And then we're going to be joyful about this child. And so then we were, and we were excited to be pregnant. We didn't know what that looked like, but we were like, okay, this is it. Um, And then we lost that baby. And on the way home from the appointment, finding out that baby did not have a heartbeat, Tyler looks and he goes, I don't think I want to adopt anymore. (laughs) Like, okay, whoa, hold up. Like, we just found out that we lost this baby. And now you're telling me you don't want to grow our family at all? Like, you don't want to adopt this is a lot of triggering things to talk about after we just found out 45 minutes ago. And he looked at me, he's like, Kendra, no, I think we're supposed to try again. And that was wild. Um, so I'm like, okay, let's plank this conversation for another day because I still haven't even passed this baby. Um, but then, then we did... Um, go on and decide to try again. So after telling Tyler, let's not talk about this, let's table this for today, 
of led into how we decided to continue to grow our family and what came after that. Hmm. What about you, Sarah? Um, I feel like before we had, before we initially got pregnant with Connor, I think, and when we think about like expectations, right, I, I would say that the elephant in the room is like, it's typically coming from family. Um, you, of course you have these like inner, you know, desires and like expectations of yourself and what you think that you and your body can handle before you have your first child. Um, but I think that, um, there are a lot of external pressures too. And in society, what we think, you know, the nuclear family should look like, and you very rarely see, you know, um, you very rarely see a mom and a dad with, with one child. That was not something that I saw growing up, hardly ever. Almost everyone I've ever been friends with and I've ever known has had siblings. Um, so this so this journey for us, um, deciding to be one and done and then communicating that to other people and feeling like I had to be really loud about it because I hated getting the question, well, when are you guys going to have another baby? Well, Connor's fine. Look at him now. He's fine. He, you know, he's four, he's healthy, he's fine. Um, and I think, I think as a society, we're starting to evolve and recognize that those types of questions are not, um, are not appropriate, especially to strangers. Um, but when thinking about, um, the expectations that our family had, for us having a larger family, um, Scott ended up getting a vasectomy at the end of 2020 because we were so sure that we did not want to have another biological baby. Um, and I think that took our family by surprise. Um, but it was something that we felt that, you know, we know what happens in our house and we knew that, that you know, having another child, even, even thinking about Connor's NICU experience, we just knew that that wasn't going to happen. Um, so circling back to the question of, um, navigating expectations, I think it is really uncomfortable and it's really hard, especially when you feel like you're, you're going to disappoint people. I had a hard time even like telling my mom because I, f I felt like I wanted to give her all of these grandbabies. Cause you always, you always hear that, you know, um, being a grandma is the best and you just want to give them all of the grandbabies. And I, I did have this weird feeling that I was letting my family down in that way. Um, but I think in a healthy, in a healthy relationship where you can communicate with your parents, um, about why you're deciding to just have one child. Um, I was very thankful that I didn't, I didn't really get any pushback from, from anyone, from anybody um, the pushback that I really get comes from people that I don't know very well, which is so bizarre. Um, right. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, the internet is weird. Um, and filled with, like, wonderful people who are there to, like, build community. And like us, right? We're, we live around the country. and We became dear friends. But also um, very random, weird feedback um, from the world. Um, we did an awesome episode with Jess from the One and Done podcast, Only You, One and Done. So that's definitely worth a listen for those who haven't heard it. But um, 
Yeah, I think that um, for me, honestly, the expectations were all all in my brain. Like they're all me, and like I, um, I think a lot of people um, who go through the NICU and deliver preterm or um, have a a medical crisis or are genetic carriers for chromosomal abnormality, right? Um, There's an inherent feeling of intense shame because it's like, like you mentioned, Ash, like there's this weird kind of um, subliminal messaging that like motherhood is um, inherently easy or it's like your, our body should know how to do this, right? Should be able to do this. And still, to this day, we'll send each other things we find online of people reiterating that message. Like, mm-hmm. you, sh- this should be the easiest thing. You should be able to give birth in the wild with birds circling you. You know <laughs> what I mean? And that we just your body was made for this, right? And we just know that's not the case. And so, because those messages exist out there, I think that's for where it comes from. For me, it's this shame of like, okay, one, my body can't do it. Why? Because I was born with like a a, a weird shaped uterus. Cool beans. Great great stuff happening here but then too it's like the mental capacity to be able to do it um and so um for me there's like that shame and the expectation of I didn't love newborn life um because it was incredibly traumatic right I didn't love the NICU stay I don't know if people like loved what happened to them but because I I felt like because I couldn't imagine tolerating doing it again that there was something wrong with me why wouldn't you want to do anything for your your babies, right? Um, so I think that that's what it is. And w- the best answer for that is seeing a therapist. So I recommend that, yeah, 10 amen. out of 10. <laughs> that makes sense. Are you looking for a creative way to honor your favorite NICU family while also supporting the mission of Dear NICU Mama? Then we've got you covered. This Valentine's season, you can participate in our virtual Valentine's Day telegrams. For just $25 per telegram, you can either send a voice memo or something in writing, and it can be read by our hosts of the Dear NICU Mama podcast to honor your favorite NICU Mama and NICU families. With each purchase of a Dear Nikki Mama telegram, not only are you donating to the mission and movement of Dear Nikki Mama, but you will also receive a virtual Valentine's that you can send to your favorite Nikki family that you are honoring. So on top of having a spot on the Dear Nikki Mama podcast to honor your family, you'll also receive a Valentine's to make sure that they feel seen and heard this Valentine's Day. After your submission, make sure to tune in to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast for a special Valentine's Day episode where we'll be featuring these Valentine's Day telegrams on February 14th. For more information on how to purchase and send a Dear Nikki Mama Valentine's Day telegram, head to the link in our bio or dearnikkimama.com telegram. You kind of have to, which is where therapy comes in. <laughs> And get those tools to really insulate yourself from all opinions when you're making these decisions. Because there are so many opinions. Mm -hmm. Even listening to this podcast, we all probably have our own opinions based on our own journeys. And at the end of the day, it requires you and your partner alone looking at your family, making the best decisions for your family. And that takes a lot of work because we want to make people happy and we want us to be happy and we don't want to make the wrong decision, right? Like there's always this like, well, what if? What if this is the right decision or that's the right decision? And so 
um I think no matter what it requires a certain level of like hibernation and insulation from other people's ideas of of what your family should look like which is is really difficult so maybe then after that vein um you know how did you guys know that you were ready or not ready to start getting pregnant again or building your family Kendra do you want to go first so after after we had it took my body um quite a few weeks to you ladies know you were right there with me um, encouraging me loving me and checking in um it took my body quite a few weeks to actually pass baby um and during that time I was just in such this limbo moment of Tyler being and me actually feeling peace with trying again and having this excitement, but I was still holding on to this current pregnancy. And that was a just a weird time, honestly. I don't know how to describe it. I felt really just like stuck. I'm like, why is my body And it was not? wasn't it also like right in the height of COVID too, right? right in the that was of COVID. the other element yes. of it. So I went in for the initial appointment and found out that baby didn't have a heartbeat. And then the rest of it was virtual. Um, so they were checking in on me because I was like, no, I don't, I just want to see if my body will pass it instead of scheduling a DNC. And um, then they would check in like a week later with me. And she's like, would you like me to send, you know, the, the pills? And I was like, no, I don't think so. Like, I still, I still feel comfortable. And they're like, okay, we'll give you two more weeks. Because at that point in time, if I hadn't passed it, then baby would have been inside of me for a risky amount of time um so right there already it was complicating everything right um I was almost losing trust in my body because why why wasn't it doing what it was supposed to be doing and I think we can all relate <laughs> to that in some capacity of like losing that trust of your body right um but in the mean in that same amount of time there was a part of Tyler and I that we felt peace and we felt excitement to do something that we never thought we were going to do again. Um, so we did, we came to just a peace in saying, because Tyler asked me, um, as we were pulling in the driveway on the day that we found out we lost the baby, he said, did it matter to you? Did it matter to you if this baby had Talon's genetic condition? And I was like, no, no, it didn't. I love that baby I love this baby so much and it was in that moment that I think it sat in that I as hard as it could be as it would be to do it again I I was loving that baby I was excited for that baby um so that kind of stuck with us and that's what kind of carried us through to trying again um but also so much has changed since then (laughs) um up until that point of that pregnancy, Callan, he had a very crazy first year of life, but then he's, he, he was doing good. He was stable. He was gaining just new skills, and he was losing medical things, and um, he was relatively healthy and stable. Um, so then we, we got pregnant again, and that was a really, really challenging pregnancy mentally for me. Um, we found out at 11 weeks that we were having a girl, so that should have put me at ease, right? Like, this baby won't have the genetic conditions that, or the genetic condition, hypothetically, 
um, express the genetic condition that Callan um, has. And this should be a typical pregnancy, typical delivery, you know, all those air quotations that you can put in there. And why was I so stressed out? Why was I so anxious? Why did everything terrify me? Uh, why did I need to buy a fetal Doppler to check at home to make sure she was still okay? I did not expect to be so anxious during that pregnancy. And um, I think it's because we wanted this so bad. We wanted this pregnancy and a different outcome and not that we would change anything about Callan. Um, but we would love to change that he didn't have to go through all of that and that we didn't have to go through all of that. I think that's okay for us to say. Um, of course, yeah. And so we, we got through it. We had a, I had to start therapy during her pregnancy because it was just, it was that hard on my mind. I had super intrusive thoughts. Um, and I don't know what I would have done if I did not go through therapy, to be honest. It would have been a very, very hard pregnancy. It was hard emotionally, mentally without that, so I couldn't imagine it. <laughs> so if you decide to go through pregnancy after um, a NICU journey or loss, don't feel bad if you have these these anxious or intrusive thoughts. I think it happens to so many people. And don't be afraid to reach out for help. Because I felt mm -hmm. like I, I was a little bit ashamed to have to reach out. I thought that I was really great in my healing journey. I thought I was healed. Little did we know, about a year later, we would do healing as lifelong. <laughs> and here we are, <laughs> still healing. Um, then, fast forward, Nora. Um, she will be two in February. And this last summer, I once again spontaneously got pregnant when I hypothetically shouldn't have. And... This time, things were so different. Um, this past year of Callan's life was so turbulent. Um, so many hospitalizations, so many ER visits, um, just so many different things have come up in his life. Plus, a very fiery little toddler. Uh, Sarah, when you were saying things like, I don't, like, these kids, Callan takes probably like five adults <laughs> sometimes um, to really, mm -hmm. there's just a lot of stuff that I don't share um, about his journey, but he, he definitely has some really hard days, some really hard moments. And I was terrified. I was terrified. How am I going to be a good mom to another child? This was a dream at one point, but is that okay if this dream changes? And will I still be fulfilled if I want that? You know, if that is no longer the outcome of this dream that we had before marriage or walking into marriage. Um, every step of that pregnancy, I was just, I was praying for peace. <laughs> I was um, praying for help because I'm like, I literally don't know how I can handle another child. I was terrified. I was very terrified. Um, and then we found out that this baby did not have a heartbeat as well at nine weeks. I should have been nine weeks. Um, and it was clear that this baby had a genetic abnormality. And 
there was some aspect about that that was relieving. And there were some aspects that made the grieving process really hard because then you almost envision another little Callan <laughs> because with his genetic mm-hmm. condition, there are a lot of similarities in all of the boys because the boys are the ones that express it. Um, so it's almost like I can envision this baby where I didn't have those thoughts with our first miscarriage. Um, so there were some parts of this last miscarriage that were really, really hard in that aspect. And because I was so terrified that entire, you know, two months, whatever it was, um, my OB, Tyler was very adamant, like, I'm getting a vasectomy. I'm getting it done. I'm getting it done. We cannot do this again. I don't want to risk this again. And I was kind of teetering back and forth, like, are we sure? Are we sure? But with all the peace that I felt sitting with my OB and she said to me, she's like, Kendra, I think you know your answer if you were this terrified of being pregnant again. And she's a very bold OB. (laughs) Um, If I didn't have such a connection with her over the past five and a half years, I would have been like, who are you to say that? Um, But at the same time, I, I felt a lot of truth in that. And so Tyler has an appointment um, in January for a consultation wow. for a vasectomy, That's which yeah. most days, I'm, I would say like nine on 10 days, I'm really okay with that. Um, but there are those days where I do question, like, are we sure? Are we sure? But I'm kind of jumping back to that question of expectations. During this pregnancy or this last pregnancy, I felt a lot of shame and judgment in my head, mostly, um, of what our family's going to think. Like, they see how hard it is for us right now. What are they going to think? They're going to think we're careless, we're reckless. Like, what are we doing? Why would we Mm. allow this? Most of that was in my head. Um, But I was very nervous to share with my family. And something that sticks out to me that I, you know, just one of those thoughts is my dad saying, well, you can't forget about my little man. Just don't ever forget about my little man. (laughs) And he's talking about Catelyn. And I, so much of, it was, he was being so honest because he has just this wonderful heart that's so pure for Catelyn. But it, in some aspects, it hit really hard because that was my fear after, um, or with Nora was will he get less of me and less of Tyler Mm -hmm. because he deserves everything for us to try to like push him forward and help him exceed and grow and so I did have those fears this time around of how are we going to do this you know how we can still grow and develop if we have another child Um, but also after having Nora I realized that your love and capacity has no bounds. It grows and multiplies, and I can't, I couldn't fathom it before Nora, but having so much love for both of them, it just, like, it makes me explode. I'm so proud, Mm. and I'm Mm -hmm. so thankful. It wasn't easy, but I'm very thankful. Sorry, that was really long. There's a lot of parts to this. No, there are. There are. so good. 
And thank you for sharing about the upcoming mm-hmm. appointment that Tyler has, the big V. It is a big choice to make. And I think one thing that we haven't all said aloud is like, we are all very young. Like we're all really young. And even if you are certain in your decision, you're like, this is hundred percent right. I think there's a little bit of grief of like, this just kind of sucks that we're like real young Mm -hmm. and super like fertile people who are having to make choices that maybe are feels premature for, for where other people are. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. There is a weird sense of like, um, um, I'm not the word is escaping me, but like finality of it, where it's, it's it, once you have a medical procedure, it's like when women get their tubes tied or um, when men get a vasectomy, it does feel so um, permanent. And there is a little bit of grief. I mean, even for even for Scott and I, uh, maybe not my husband, but he's he's different. Um, but let's call for him me, in, Scott. <laughs> no, he he has told. He has screamed it from the rooftop that he thinks that that um, men that don't want any more children should just get a vasectomy because being on birth control is, is so – it's hard. Mm. So if you really don't want to have children, um, you know, it, it usually falls on the women to to what are you going to do to not get pregnant. And I think, I think after everything with the NICU, I think Scott felt a little bit of ownership after all of that and like, no, 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 I – you know, and being transparent, like I want to have a healthy, normal sex life and not be scared to have a baby. Right. Like I don't, we don't know if it's safe for, for me and, you know, anyway, so all of those things considered, I think that there is definitely some, some grief about having to make a a decision like that. Um, but Kendra, I wanted to, to add, um, to a little bit what you said about your, your heart, like knowing no bounds, for for loving a baby because I I sort of had that epiphany too where I find myself or I found myself kind of daydreaming about what it would have been like to for Connor to have a sibling um and like what a cool brother he would be and you know all of those things they feel really heavy um and one of the things that I just like had an epiphany about um like right after COVID what in, in my hunt of trying to get out of the house um, because being quarantined for so long, it was like, I need to find something that, that fills my heart and gets my body moving. Um, I decided to find a um, club softball team and I have now, it's already been a year, you guys, can you believe? Um, I have been an assistant coach for a girls fast pitch softball team and that feels like I just got 14 more children. Um, I, I'm like crying hearing you talk about this, Sarah. Um, I love those girls. Like they are my biological children. Um, mm. And I think and I think that, that my experience with that has been so profound because I think that um, – I think family is what you make it. I think that yeah. – when we think about growing our family and our heart knowing no bounds, I think that it's, it's hard when you, when you decide to do the non-traditional route of growing your family. But I feel like I've hit the jackpot in a way of just finding another community to um, be a part of. And Mm -hmm. it is very flattering when I hear that, you know, the, the feeling is mutual. Um, for Christmas, the the girls 
um, the parents like wrote me this like beautiful card and everyone was like sending me all these like nice texts saying like how great it has been for me to be a mentor for their children and like I don't know I I have found that that has definitely filled my heart in a way that um, feels authentic to me without the um, burdens of motherhood I guess <laughs> I don't know but um I, I I wanted to share that because I I really felt that same sentiment, Kendra, with with like, is it possible for your heart to be, you know, spread amongst multiple children? And I think if you choose to not have biological children and you choose to find something else that that fills your heart, um, that's definitely possible too. I'm so glad you shared that, Sarah. I always cry when you talk about your softball girls. <laughs> I just so love it so good. much. It's also just such a good reminder that mothering can look dis- different in so many ways. Like whether you're mothering your own biological baby or, or foster baby or adoptive baby, that there are so many ways to mother and we can never have enough mothers, right? (laughs) It's so true. It really does take a village and it, Mm -hmm. it just, it does. It really does. And then, you know, I know we have a lot of moms in the NICU community that were former teachers. And I think about that a lot too. And for the, for the women that have stepped away from teaching and, and what a big commitment that, that is, um, you know, we all can kind of balk and say like, oh, teaching was really hard, but I think once you um, once you've had that classroom experience, you you miss the kids, you miss the connection. It feels good to make a difference, um, and yeah, all, all that to say is that um, mothering is is it takes a village. I think everyone should have so many moms. The world would be a better place yes. with so more many more moms. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Ash, is it fair to ask you about? where you're at, where you're feeling about everything today, how you guys are navigating the discussions. It seems a little unfair, actually, because it's in the no, middle of an insane season for you, too. No, it's not unfair. Um, I think in sharing it, I hope that there's others who can maybe like hear their story reflected as well of that it it ebbs and flows. Um, and I think too, I think when you're making this decision, like you said, Martha, so young and you're in a world of like probabilities, right? Like once you become a NICU mom, your world is probabilities, statistics, numbers, percentages, there's no certains. So you can meet with specialist after specialist and there's no like, this is exactly how your story will unfold. If you get pregnant on this day, you will deliver on this day and you'll be, you know, like there's no, there's no math. And so in turn, there's no closure. And I think for me and and my husband, it's, it's being okay with, without the closure and giving ourselves permission to kind of sit in that messy middle of like no matter the decision that we make we may not ever feel that like I had my four kids I know I'm done (laughs) you know or I had my you know this happened and now I know there may not ever be that closure but that doesn't make it any less sacred or that decision any less sacred um 
I shared this on Jess's interview that we did with her, and I know we're going to share that replay. But one way that we grew our family over the past couple of years was we got a huge dog. (laughs) I was like, well, if we can't give Silas a sibling, let's give him a fur sibling. And so out of like kind of some cool turn of events, we ended up um, getting a Bernese Mountain Dog puppy, which we love dearly. Um, But in my head, I idolized what this relationship would look like and what having a puppy would look like. And And it's gone exactly how you thought. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly how I thought. But those first couple weeks, I felt the glory of getting a new puppy and growing our family. And then reality set in that she's not a baby. She's not a human. She's not a, quote, real sibling. And I was so disappointed because I thought that a dog could fill that place in my heart that only a, a baby or another sibling could. And I'm a, I like to write, and so I, I remember writing something that said, what if things are so hate, sacred they're just meant to be held? And so now I'm, I'm still in this daily practice of holding grief, of holding that longing, of holding that desire, and just holding it and not trying to figure it out, not trying to fill it, not trying to, you know, have this huge void or distraction or whatever but just holding it for what it is it's a desire it's a longing um and there are some days where we feel very certain that we're ready to be done there's other days I've always had a really big heart for adoption or foster care there's days where we talk about that um but um for me like Sarah mentioned getting to serve these NICU moms has felt in a way like mothering like I don't call myself you guys like my mom but I call you my mom (laughs) but I mean having the ability (laughs) having the ability and space to nurture this community is such a gift to me and um I'm so grateful that I'm able to be a mom to Silas and then be a fellow sister to to this community and to pour creativity and and passion into this this community because you guys are also special to me and so um whether mothering's the word maybe nurturing is a different word of just like having the opportunity and the time and space to be able to pour into this other part of my heart that I get to nurture Mm -hmm. it it feels like such a gift and so um I know that was kind of long-winded but no it's beautiful but that's Mm -hmm. and now to kind of circle back I no longer like for the longest time, I wasn't enjoying Opal because I was so disappointed. That's my dog's name. <laughs> I wasn't enjoying Opal because I was ex- I had really high expectations of her, and she was failing. She wasn't filling that void like I expected mm-hmm. her to. And now that I've been able to recognize that, I enjoy her so much more as this beautiful addition to our family that doesn't have to fill anything. We just get to enjoy her. Mm-hmm. And her and Silas are super close. Like They are like best it's friends. So the other day... I wanted, I was bringing him to daycare and he's like, we have to bring Opal. She's my best friend. (laughs) And so it's like, you know, now that I've been able to recognize the gift that she is, Mm -hmm. she no longer disappoints me because she's not trying to fit a place in my heart that she just wasn't made to fill. And so, um, again, therapy (laughs) helped me recognize that. But, um, but yeah. So I just say, I love that you were having these like intellectual, like deeply emotional thoughts and, 
and discernments about sweet vocal. And meanwhile, she was like, can I have peanut butter? Like she had no idea. Yeah, yeah right. She had no idea. <laughs> or she she's digging list. herself in the snow. She she's like, what? I am supposed to come inside? She's like, uh, oh, did you guys just leave these pavers out here? I just dug up your whole patio. Is that bad? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so true. Martha, how about you, my friend? Um. Well... Yeah, I, I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, That's okay. Yeah, I think that I, you know, my husband is very much, he would like to just be done because it's too much. And I think one other aspect of this is um, like the financial burden of it all. Yes. We have been set back so much because of, you know, starting back from JP and like a loss of income and having to not be able to work and all this stuff. So it's like this important thing, I think, to acknowledge that there is a, you know, being able to get pregnant is a privilege. Being able to afford more children, be able to afford childcare, like oh. in in America in 2022, is you know, it's all part of it as well. And so that part of it makes me deeply sad. But I don't know. You know, I think um, I know it'd be super dangerous. But there's like this other part of my brain that's like, mm, how dangerous? see yeah you know what I mean and then um the doctors and Zach are like very dangerous please stop talking about it um and then you know it's you know then your kids get older and um you know if you have a kid who communicates with you they start maybe asking questions about it you know I was just sharing I texted with Ashley this morning JJ's been asking a lot about why we can't have another baby in the house she'll be like I the baby can live in my room I'll share my toys with the baby she said this morning I don't know, you know, I won't know what the baby needs if the baby's crying, but if you tell me, I'll get the baby whatever the baby needs. And I was like, first of all, she's just a huge capacity for love. Um, but I I wonder where she gets that from. <laughs> <laughs> and which is so beautiful. But I get sad and I'm also, you know, an Enneagram too. So I'm immediately like, well, maybe I'll just have a baby because she said she wanted it today. And that's not, <laughs> Zach is like, that's also not good. We should not go by the whims of a four-year-old for this. The baby, the baby will come home but and I, say, can you, can you put her back now? <laughs> We're done here. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That would not be good. It's like, it's, he's like, this is the same level as her wanting dinner on the blue plate and not the purple plate. Like, let's just not. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I have no idea and it changes all the time because who knows I don't think we're quite at the big V the big vasectomy talk yet um we're just not there for some reason because also the other thing is life is just so busy like I for, keep forgetting about it you know you mm -hmm. keep it's just kind of this thing that's in the back of your mind all the time um yeah. I I'll see I'll echo what Ashley did too which is that about having this other thing, this other vocation of life. We talk all the time about DNM, Dear Nikki Mama, being one of our children, right? Because we, it mm -hmm. takes um, a little, you know, just as much time some weeks and also um, <laughs> grows and ebbs and flows. And I think that I forget that that's also incredibly important, this really important, important, this really important part of my life. And it was JP's birthday two days ago. And he will always not be at the table, right? There's always an emptiness that we will feel forever because he's not there. I mean, seven years is a, is a long time to be without him, but there'll be a time when it'll be 30 years without him, right? Um, and 50 years. I, how old will I be? That, I, let's, I'll be a thousand years old. But um, 
it's re- it's very challenging to reconcile this with this family building thing because because of JP's life and because of his death. I sent a message to Ashley on Instagram, you know, because I saw her and it resonated with me. And because of that, there's for I have dear friends in Phoenix, Arizona and the United Kingdom. And there's women who, you know, have are now dear friends, you know, we I, that we're not even maybe as close with, but they're like bonded for life because of these this thing. And like we're talking about hundreds and thousands of people. And so it's not the same. It's tomatoes, you know, it's potatoes, it's tomatoes and potatoes. It's potatoes and like NASCAR driving. They're not the same at all, (laughs) but it's, you know, it's something, right? Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I didn't mean to be depressing. No, that's not depressing. It's, I remember. Yeah. Sorry. You go. Well, I just remember when Silas turned one, I texted Martha and Kendra and I just said, I wouldn't like choose to go through it again. Like it wasn't like a fun thing to go through. Obviously, I'm grateful because it brought me my son. But I said I I grieve thinking about what my life would look like not knowing this community and not knowing you both. And his story and and our journey led me to all of you. And I will forever be grateful for that. And you guys are my family. Like Sarah said, you get to define what family is and I hope that your kids are my son's family that one day we all get to be in the same room (laughs) and when I talk to you guys on the phone Silas demands the phone because he wants to talk to your kids and you know I'm I'm just so grateful that there's this level of vulnerability that and that we're doing this deep inner work so that our kids don't have to do it (laughs) You know, um, and that they'll get to to reap the the benefits of 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 this inner healing work and of these relationships that we're building together and the family that we're creating with with each other, and um and when I think of my table, I think of all of you guys at my table mm-hmm. too. I think about sharing holidays with you guys and our kids going on trips and, you know, because yeah, family is what you make it. So, look at that yeah. full circle. <laughs> Look at that reciprocal narrative. You did such a nice job there, Ash. I mean, it's so true, though. I, which you, Ashley and Martha both know her, but I have a close friend um, through our NICU journey, and she's going through some health things with herself, and she's a single mom, and she was sharing that she was just having some really hard thoughts, and um, what, what would happen if something were to happen to her, and her son doesn't have a dad in the picture and you know I just the only thing I can picture and tell her is that he has us you know he has all of us like he's our kid too yeah. you know as the whole thing yeah. I tell her also that doesn't make any of this less scary or your tears not valid and your words not valid but like also he's our kid he's my he's my kid yeah. you, you know yeah. I think of him yeah. as my own and he wouldn't ever feel yeah you know, left alone because we would all surround him. And I think that's what happens when this community comes together. Yes. No, it's so true. Hmm. Oh, you guys, I just love all of you. And I love this community and I love all of your kids. And um, thank you guys all for just your vulnerability and for sharing just really tender parts of your heart. And I hope that 
to all of the moms listening today that you just feel empowered to make the right decisions for your family. And that also, it's okay if you haven't made that final decision. It's okay if you're in that messy middle um, or even that mundane middle where, you know, sometimes you don't even have capacity to process this decision until you're not in crisis. And some of you guys mm-hmm. are still mm-hmm. in crisis right now or you're still in the midst of of your journey. And um, there's going to be a lot of opinions out there of what you should, shouldn't, can't, can do. But know that we believe that you're making the best decisions and that you are capable to make the best decisions. And so no matter how, if, when um, you decide to grow your family, whether that's by getting a big Bernie's Mountain Dog or <laughs> by pregnancy, adoption, or all of the above, um, we just, we honor you today and we honor your beautiful family and you have a seat at our table. So we love you guys. We love this community and uh, we can't wait to catch back with you guys next week. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. If you loved this episode, we'd be so grateful for a review on any of the podcast platforms. And we'd love to continue connecting with you via our social media pages or a private Facebook group. And ultimately, Nikki Mama, welcome to the sisterhood.